Brian never stops with us. Welcome to this bonus edition of the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zane Nabi. In this show, one of our co-hosts, Courtney Fries, goes one-on-one with one of his former teammates, Dalron Buckley. And the former Bafana winger opens up about a number of subjects. Dalron speaks about his coaching struggles, pay disputes, and also gives us insight on what motivated him to succeed as a teenager in Germany, where he couldn't even speak the language when he first went over. Dalron certainly didn't hold back, as you'll hear in this really candid interview. And it's worth pointing out that Dalron uses the reference coloured a number of times, which in the South African context refers to any person who's of dual heritage or mixed race. Obviously, the term coloured can be seen as a racial slur in some countries, but in the South African context, it's a race category. Well, I'll leave it there and hand over to Courtney for this wide-ranging chat. Yalron, our connection goes back to very, very young, uh, when we were youngsters together playing football. And I, I always credit you I never played at your level, but I always credit you getting me into the Natal squad. Can you remember how you did that? <laughs> well, you got to refresh my memory. And, uh, you know, you telling me I got you into the, into the KZN Natal team, then I must be doing something right, giving you crosses <laughs> in, into the boxes. You must be finishing well. No, so... no, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, we, we played in a national tournament of which you were running riots like you normally Yeah. And um, it eventually came down to the last game, Marisburg against Durban, which is a official and unofficial rivalry. On an <laughs> um, and I, I remember going to our coach and saying, listen, if I don't mark this guy, they're going to take yeah. it to the cleaners <laughs> and we're going to lose this. And that's the only game we, we managed to draw the whole game. You didn't score, which was a, uh, an unbelievable thing for us. Um, and yeah. I think of that performance of uh, my man-to-man marking, I must have just had a good day. <laughs> no, I mean, you probably did a good job, to be honest with you. <laughs> to mark me back in those days, I mean, I was fast like a machine. I'm telling you, well, unbelievable. You probably did a good job. That's why you got selected. <laughs> so well we done. get in. We get. I get into the team. I don't know how. I get into the team. And yeah. then, I don't know if you recall, we went to Boxburg to play football. Yes. I, don't, I still can re- remember. Huh? Yes. Did we stay? Did we stay in a school or something? No. No, we stayed with families. They put us in, a, in, in with different families. We lived. Oh yes, in, yes, I remember. Uh, and I, I was, I was talking about this earlier. I was saying we were winning a game three 0 and halftime the manager pulls me in and says to me, "Stop giving Delron the ball." <laughs> and I said, He's "The best player in the team." Yeah. <laughs> Who must I give it to? The else, yeah. He, he, he plays on the left wing. I said, well, that's your problem. Put him in the centre. Yeah. <laughs> He's the best man. Let us help you. Uh, that's, that's, huh? how, that's how our story started, Del, uh, Delron. Uh, you good know, old days, eh, Courtney. Seriously. But huh? well, well, so... at least you knew something good when you got the ball. There's only one man to look for is Delron, which that, you did good, yeah. It. So I would do the same play. thing if I was in your shoes, to be honest with you. Because he was the fastest on the pitch. I know if I'm going to play into space, he's going to get there. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Simple game plan. Simple, simple game. Simple, huh? So, 
Delron, that, that's our connection. I just want to bring it back. So do you want to talk about how it all started for yourself in the professional arena? How you got your move moving to Germany? Do you want to start with that? Yeah, of course, definitely. Uh, well, actually, I'm born and bred Sindham boy in Durban. Uh, I, stopped, I started my football career at uh, Mandim Park with the age of um, eight, seven, well, seven, eight years old. Played at Mandim Park for several years. From there, when I, I think I went from 11 years old until 12, I moved to Ramblers, which Ramblers was, at the time, a very good club to play for in Durban. And it was just a coincidence that um, every time, because I played on the four teams, and then, um, what's his name? Um, Gordon Ingerson, his son was playing for the under, I think under, under 12s, and they would play after us. So every time when I played, Gordon Ingerson was there, and he was, he was watching all these games of mine, and he was fascinated on how uh, I played football, how fast I was. And from there is when, um, when I left Ramblers with the age of, of 14, 15, I went to go play for my grandfather's team called Butcherville Rovers. Because <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> uh, Butcherville Rovers, Butcherville Rovers. <laughs> so you had this 14-year-old lighty playing with big men that are probably 35, 40 years old. And for the whole one year, I was running rings around everyone, playing against Redlam, playing against Chatwood, Chatswood. And this is when this whole coincidence happened when Gordon Ingerson, because he, back, at, back in the days at Ramblers, he knew how good I was. So he approached me and he said to me, if I want to go overseas and play overseas. So I said to him, no, no problem, but you need to approach my grandparents because I lived with my grandparents back in the day. Mm. And then he came and he approached them, spoke to them. And then, uh, yeah, before I went overseas, I had to train with, um, with Manning Rangers at the time. He was coaching at that, that, that year, was in 93, I think. So I trained with him for a few months. And then after that, in 94 is when uh, Gordon Ingerson took me to Germany in September on trials to several clubs. So I flew there in 94. So you can imagine a Durban boy coming from hot sun, short slippers, jump onto a plane, go to Germany, jump off, and it's minus 10 degrees. I'm sure you watched that film, Cool Runners, when that oak comes out freezing and he puts his bag on his head. So it was the same situation. It was really cold because I've never experienced such coldness in my life. But anyway, I went there. Uh, I, I trialed at several clubs like Road Fights Essen that was playing in second division. I, I went to Schalke Nulfia to play for their second team. But things weren't happening. And then I finally, on my last... Well, actually, was the two, I had two days left in Germany because my, my visa was going to expire. So I had to fly back to South Africa. So the last two days, I went to Vorfeld Bochum on this trial to play for the, for the youth team, the under-19 team. Uh, first training session, got there. And at the time, Benedict was the coach for, this, for the Vorfeld Bochum under-19 team. And Benedict is a legend in Germany. He won the European Cup with, with the German national team. I, even, I think he won the World Cup with France, Beckenbauer at the time. And he was quite like a very oldish guy, but he knew his football. So the first training session, I trained, got the ball, took on five players, scored. Next minute I turned my head, the coach was gone. So everybody's wondering where is the coach? And the coach actually ran back to the stadium with all the officers. 
to the CEO for him to make a contract to seal me down to fulfill Bochum so I can't fly, fly uh, back to South Africa. So that's how it managed in the last two days. That's how I got that contract to stay in Germany, which is unbelievable. That, that is such an unbelievable story. You know, you, you're coming to almost a deadline. You almost think deadline, about Deadline, yeah. I'm going back yes. home. It's going to be warm, um, <laughs> finally. And, uh, and, and then your life basically turns. Now, from that point, can you tell us the journey? What happens from that particular point moving forward? Well, you know, um, in 94, Germany wasn't a cosmopolitan country. No one spoke English. And now you've got a colored boy coming from South Africa, 16 years 16 year old, can't even speak a word of German. I've got to communicate with the hands and feet. So what happened was that Vorfeld Bochum, they decided to put me with a German family to look after me. It was, it was quite nice, but it was, it was so difficult because the communication was tough. I couldn't speak to them English. So every time when I wanted to eat something, I had to use hands and feet to communicate for almost, I think, one year until I could move out and get my own place because I wasn't 18. And uh, of course, weather-wise, it was cold, language. It was a whole total different environment that I had to adapt to, which was tough. That's why when I see youngsters today going to, going to Europe to, to play, to look for their success, they have it much, much easier because the minute you go overseas, you can communicate with your family easy by WhatsApp, you could phone. That time there was no phones. So I had to go buy a telephone card for 25 Deutschmarks just to phone my mom. So I put it into the, you know, they had these telephone boxes on the street where you had to go. So you put this card in, you press this African number, 07. The minute I say, hello, mom, how are you? Boop, gone. <laughs> my wage, my whole, my whole month wage gone. Boop. 25 Do um, yeah, well, Deutschmark. At the time, it was Deutschmark. It wasn't Euro. Gone. So I go back, buy another one, you know, because they're selling 25 Deutschmark, 50 Deutschmark. And that's how I used to try and communicate. And, of course, I was getting homesick. I wanted to go home. But I knew that uh, my grandfather wouldn't allow that. If I had to come home, I would have been a failure. So I had to stick it through. And up till today, I thank him for that. Even through my autobiography, which I wrote about my life, is where I say, you know, it was because of him. That's why I made it. Because he said, you don't you dare come back until you make it professionally. So I had to push and strive and um, go through all the ups and downs, you know. And, of course, I succeeded. Succeeded. Then, Can, can you... Sorry, go ahead. Continue. I was saying I succeeded and I played for the second team for the under-19s at, at Fulford Bochum. I was a top form scoring, the second highest goal scorer. You know, playing against Borussia Dortmund under 19, Schalke under 19. And then, uh, you know, it was just my luck that um, Klaus Topmüller, who was the, the, the head coach at the first team of Vorfeld Bochum, mm. I, don't know if, I don't know if you know him because he was with, with the Bayer Leverkusen at the Champions League final against Real Madrid, uh, uh, Real Madrid, I think, where Real Madrid beat Leverkusen in a Champions League final. He was yes. a coach back in the days, yeah. yeah. So he was a coach at the time. So the first team had a lot of injured players and he was really hustling for players. So he, he came to watch a few games of ours at, at under-19s and he saw this light, how fast he is. So he just took me, put me into, into training for one week. I trained with the first team one week and then took me to one of, one of the games. 
but I was on the bench. And that and that game was against Fortuna Düsseldorf. It was second division. And um, put me on the bench. Half time, we're losing 1-0. And the team was playing utter rubbish. So he just pulls me out of the bench. Tells me, goes, warm up, you're coming on half time. I jump onto the field half time, puts me left wing. We sent her my first touch. I dribble five plays down the left wing, cross it. Our striker, Balunchinski, book finishes 1-1. We come back. They sent her again. We win the ball. They give me the ball again. I take on another five, six players, get into the box, diagonal ball, 2-1. 2-1, we beat them. But <laughs> it was quick, quick. It was two quick goals when I came on. Two quick goals. And then after that, he's like, no, you know more. You know more going to under 19s. You stay with the first team from today on. And that's how I made my breakthrough. Shalom, that's, that is an absolute fascinating breakthrough, honestly. Uh, and, and such unusual circumstances. Now, you get into the first team. How is the game plan, the, the attacking mode communicated to you from, firstly, a legendary manager, firstly? Yeah. There's a top manager in the game. How was the communication? How were they getting through to you what you need to do? Is, was, was your Germany improving at the time? Or are you still not that clear with it? Well, I had German lessons once a week. I would go to a, um, a, tut or a tutor. You know, one of, these, one of the lady was teaching me German once a week. But the German language, language to learn was really difficult. Mm. But, you know, luckily the coach could speak a little bit of English. And then we had also players from Ireland. There was playing Jody Gudjonsson. We had Eric Fernalda. That played for the American, American United States team, and these guys could speak English and they could speak German because they were they've been in Germany for for several years. So if the coach had to uh, communicate with me, he will speak to them and they would translate for me. But it was simple because the coach knew I was fast. So what he did, what happened that year, we got promoted into the Bundesliga, and then all of a sudden, from a left wing, I became a striker. So it was it was easy. So all I had to all I had to do, he, the players knew the minute they get the ball, the play for example, good example, you back in the days when a player got the ball. I was only twelve. Win. I was only twelve. Exactly. Yeah. And these guys were 24, 30. So they knew when they got the ball, they had to play to Darren Buckley because he was so fast. There was no defender that could stop me. And then that that first year in the Bundesliga. You know, being uh, 17 years old, I scored six goals in the Bundesliga, which for me was something great. And my first goal I ever scored in the Bundesliga was against Borussia Dortmund. In Dortmund, with 90,000 uh, uh, fans watch, watching us play. And we beat Dortmund 1-0. I scored in the, in the 84th minute, last minute. 84th minute I scored, the 1-0. And that was like something... Um, Brilliant, something like you would swear Fofa Bochum won the World Cup the way they were carrying on beating Borussia Dortmund because Dortmund is a big club and Fofa Bochum is a small traditional club. You know, the fans they have is probably 30,000. They come and watch them play. Not like Dortmund, you have 90,000 come to watch you play. So that was a big, big stepping stone which helped me to my football career. So, so you're making these huge strides in Europe. You, 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 as I said, you're playing under a legendary manager. You're playing for an almost an unfashionable team in Germany, but you're making headway. Were you starting to think that, listen, I, why am I not getting a Bafana call up here? 
Well, you know, I was still young. I was 17 years old. And then the next season of Bundesliga, 18 years old, I was getting better and better because um, the training session, you know, the whole concept of the way the Germans were training in Germany was totally different towards what I got in South Africa. So I was building more muscle in my calves, in my thighs, in my stomach. So I was becoming more fast and faster, more technical, strong, you know, more clever, more intelligent. Where Klaus Topmüller actually started to call me Mini Ronaldo. Whenever he, whenever he had an interview after the game, he would say, "My, my Mini Ronaldo is doing wonders. He's scoring goals. He's running into positions, and he's only 18 years old. Very clever player. But seldom you have a player like this that is 18 years old in the Bundesliga that has intelligence." Of, of a footballer that's probably um, 20, 27, 30 years old. So I was more very advanced. Where, where does the first Bafana Bafana call come up from? Was it out of the blue? Were you expecting it? At the time, you know, Bafana, traffic had good quality players. There were so many players playing overseas, like Mark Fish, Lucas Radebe, Benny McCarthy, Quinton Fortune. There were so many players playing overseas, which you don't have now. So I didn't actually focused on having my hopes up high, getting called up for the national team. But all of a sudden, the four-fell ball from the club gets an email from Safa saying that I'm called up for the, it was for the 30, 35 players that are selected <clears throat> to come and trial for the World Cup 1996. Was it 96, eh? In France. 98. No, sorry, 98. Sorry, 98 in France. And I'm like, okay, you know, I was 18, 19 years old, I think, or 20 years old. And I get called up, I come to South Africa, and it was, you know, it was like when a child walks into a candy shop, you know, you see all these plays, oh, Mark Fish, oh, Lucas Radebe, where these guys were playing at Lazio, Rome, playing at Leeds, Benny McCarthy, and so on. But what happened was, <clears throat> is that we had a game in Johannesburg, because uh, I think it was... Um, what was the coach at the time? Um, uh, was it Philippe Trussier? Philippe Trussier, yes, the French guy. <laughs> Philippe, Philippe Trussier was cutting players down day by day. Uh, so I was just waiting for my turn to be cut down. And then what happened? We had a game on the Wednesday night against uh, Zambia. And then uh, he put me into the team. But I was on the bench. And then what happened against Zambia? We're losing 1-0 first off. So then all of a sudden, he puts me on. He says, get warm, you're coming on. And I was one of the youngest players on the bench. So I come on, and then I play next to Shoes on, in the midfield, but more on the left-hand side. My, of course, the first ball I get, first touch, I do what I do best. Take, took on the player, uh, took on the, the, the right midfielder, the right back, cut in into the, mid, into the box, and I played uh, actually a 90-degree ball across the goal, just outside the box to shoes, and shoes finishes. And that game we drew 1-1. So from there, I think you probably saw the quality that I had, because I was, I was very, very fast, to be honest with you. Because you hardly ever had a player that was so fast with a ball on his foot. So I think that was one of, one of um, my pluses that I had for the coach to select me for the team to go to France at the World Cup. The thing that, um, th talking about that moment, uh, Dalron, because 
for us that know you, you, you don't know the level of excitement because you're carrying a flag, not just a South African flag, you're carrying almost a personal flag for us because we know you, you, you are getting into this team. And to be honest, I don't know about people that uh, are, are football managers. I'm not a manager. But yeah. you are our only, besides you and Quinton, you are the only left-footed, decent crosses of the ball that I thought we had in the team. You know? Yeah. There were other yeah. people with, that had left-foots. I know that, that can cross well. But the two of you, in terms of quality balls, uh, and I felt that you should have got more game time when they got into front. I really felt you should have. Um, but what can you I, take I, from I, that? I agree, <laughs> I agree with you on that. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the coach, he decides who plays, who doesn't play. Um, you know, well, coming back to Bafana, my first game, you know, for me, it was it was cherry on the cake because make I knew coming from Sunday, making my family proud, all the people I grew up with, you know, you know, to for them to reflect on one of their people playing for, for the national team. And uh, from there, you know, as, as, you, as you said, of course, game time. I, one thing led to another, the weeks were going past, and then every time um, players were getting eliminated, was getting sent home, and then I was under the last 25, and then the last 23, because only 22 players were allowed to go to the World Cup. And then we flew to Brazil, uh, so to Argentina, and then we played against Argentina. And then, of course, I didn't, I didn't start the game. And uh, Jose played what he, which he thought which was a strong team against Argentina. Again, losing, I think we're losing 2-0. And uh, second half, Jose brings me on, puts me centre midfield next to Quinton Fortune. And then I had to mark Veron because Veron he was running mocks around the Bafana team, and I had to mark him, which I did. That 45 minutes, I marked him out the game that actually um, Argentina didn't, didn't play anymore. And then we had so many chances to equalize and to win the game. Because there was balls I was playing through for Sean Bartlett, balls I was playing through for Benny. Because me and Quentin in the middle together, we were, we were strong, compact. You know, you couldn't break us in between. And we, and we broke their whole concept down that they couldn't come and counterattack us anymore. But unlucky, we, we, we lost, I think, 2-0. No. And uh, from there, we flew to uh, France for the World Cup, and there was history. So you you get into the team. I remember watching that game. That was Because the, the game was played in very bad weather, I remember. It was raining something terrible. Um, did you feel any sort of, like, Getting into the national team, any how how was the support from Truzier? You a young guy? Was the did you feel any opposition from any of the other players not wanting you to, to, to get in? Because as you know, football's a very selfish place. You know, Colin, to be honest with you, I didn't feel any uh, neglection from any other players. Of course, everybody knew they're fighting for positions, but there was no um, I would say bitching among among amongst any players. The players knew for you to be in the team, you got to perform. If you're not going to perform, you're going you're gonna to get kicked out. And on the one hand, and which I must I must take my hat off for Trose, is when we played in, uh, in Johannesburg before the, the Zambia game is when he had a conference and there was a reporter that didn't know, he didn't know who the hell was Darren Buckley. Never heard about this, this guy. 
And then he said, uh, yeah, who's, who's this Paluka that you call to the national team? And then Tose didn't understand what Paluka means. And he had, I think, one of his, uh, one of the coaches that knew this, this word, which is reporter, it's a totally. And he had flipped. He went off, off, his, off his nut. Huh? I think he wanted to punch the guy in this conference room because he called me a Paluka. He said, how can you call my players a Paluka? Huh? And that's the one thing about what I can say. I'll take my hat off of him because he protected his players no matter what. Um, moving from that established manager, you then yeah. go into African Nations qualifiers. You guys go and play Copa Fama in Zambia. Uh, quite a contentious game from the media's point of view and the, the watching public. Can you just tell us some of the difficulties you had that day and at half time during that game? Well, one thing I got to tell you, Courtney, is when you go play in Africa, it's not pleasant. Uh, especially when Bafana comes, it's like Real Madrid is coming to play um, maybe Amazulu. Yeah, we like Real Madrid coming to Africa because of South Africa winning the African Cup. So we were something precious when we when we came into Africa, but the facilities and where we played, the hotel where we where we stayed was <laughs> unbelievable, huh? Unbelievable. There was even times where we stayed at a hotel where there weren't even windows, and then you're sleeping, and people are walking past, and they can see you uh, sleeping in in the hotel room, which is. <laughs> I can tell you stories and go on and on and on and on. Uh, and, the, and, you know, the, the, the facilities, the grounds you play on, even cows won't even walk on there to eat the grass. That it's so bumpy. And then I ask myself, how is it possible for national teams, you know, to participate in such facilities? But we had to. We had no other option. And then you play in the middle of summer with 45 degrees hot at 3 o'clock. Yeah. Dying weather, dying, dying weather. But that game against Zambia was a very important game, and we knew we had to win this game. And uh, we knew that, of course, South Africa and Zambia is two teams that um, the minute they enter onto the field, they don't, they don't heat it up. You know, it's going to go down. And um, of course, it wasn't so bad as we thought when we got to the hotel and the way they treated us and got to the stadium. But the minute the game started, they were the first ten minutes. They were kicking the shit out of us, kicking the shit out of us. That me and Quinton Fortune and the majority of the players are playing midfield. We decided we're not going to take this shit, and we started kicking back, and we started putting the the car into second gear, third gear, because we had to pick up our tempo to to win this game here, which and then which we did. In the first five minutes, I scored the the, the one nil, and then in the in the I think it was in the in the eighty eighty seventh minute, I scored the two nil, and then what happened when I scored? I twisted my ankle, and then I twisted my ankle. I fell into the ground, and the fans were on our backs the whole ninety minutes. They were every time one of our players got the ball, they were booing, booing us. If one of our players did anything, they were going off their heads. They they. I don't know what the hell was going on. They just didn't like Bafana at this game. So what, one thing led to another, and it got to us players. 
that when we scored, even when I scored the, the, the second goal, the 2 0, is when, when, I, when I twisted my ankle and fell on the floor, is when Benny, well, I think I, 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 one of the players who was near, I don't know if it was Benny, but I believe it was Benny that put his finger to his mouth and did this year to the, to the crowd. And they, they just lost it. And they started throwing bottles onto the field. And while I was laying on the floor, one of the bottles hit the hit hit, hit one of the, the what hit the ground and bounced and hit my ear and cut my ear open. And while the doctor was treating me, this happened. Oh my and god. The doctor, and the doctor got a shock and he left me there and he kicked it <laughs> to the middle of the field. And I'm lying there, my whole ear is full of blood. And I got up because I was shocked because this bottle cut me open and I ran towards to follow him to go to, ran towards the center of the field. And that's when the police came with all well the army came and I started shooting tear gas into the stadium. And these and then while the well Zambia the Zambia fans took the tear gas and they threw it back onto the field. And there was tear gas all over the whole stadium. And you cannot believe I don't know if you experienced tear gas, how it burns in your face. And then we had the kid guys, you know, from Bafana coming to put water, which is the worst thing you can do, Courtney, the worst. You put water on your face and it's tear gas. That thing burns, you cannot believe, burns. So what happened, the, the ref, of course, he, he, um, he blew off the game. And then we went into, into the, the changing room to wait and see what's going to happen. But there was a riot going on and uh, the game was cancelled. After one hour, we were allowed to leave the stadium with the army because the fans were waiting outside with stones to brick the bus. Yeah, so we had to be escorted uh, with the army straight to the airport, not even going back to the hotel because they, they sent someone else to get our stuff from the hotel. So we went from the airport straight to the airport, jumped in our plane and flew back to South Africa. And then what happened was the next day we read in the paper that I think uh, 10, 10 people died because they were tramped on. There was, a, I think, four or five kids involved, you know, which was, was really sad on our side. But I don't know. Huh? It was just... It's the, yeah. It's the hostilities of football that we... This is not why we're involved in the game, you know. And uh, a, a, a harrowing experience there, Dalvan. Terrible. No, it was a very, it was a very ter a terrible experience. And I can tell you about about two years ago, I think South African under 19 played against Zambia. And you, I got the whole of the Zambia um, media press trying to call me and uh, asking for interviews. What do I think about? And I look, I don't want to talk about the situation because it wasn't nice for us. And it wasn't nice for the people of Zambia and how everything happened because there were 10 people that passed away in, this, in the stadium. But what I found out later, because um, at Amazulu there was a coach that I, I was assistant coach, and he told me that um, it wasn't it wasn't Bafana's fault. It was no, it was the government's fault. That that's why this whole thing broke out. They used this platform to fight against the government because the government are not doing what the people of Zambia want them to do. That's what they use this platform for. That's such a sad story. This is politics coming into school. Yeah, politics. Yeah, they use it for politics. Perfect. So, you you are now part of the the Bafana setup. You you still in Germany? What what was the next step thereafter? Well, you know, <clears throat> I always honoured 
my country. Whenever they called me for any little game, if it was a Kosafa game, if it was a friendly game, they would always call me. I would always, I would always come down to South Africa, which was very also hard for me because I was earning my money, my bread in Germany. So the minute you left to go play for your national team, your club was still playing games where they needed me. But they couldn't understand how important it is for us Africans to play for our, for our country. So I, I flew. And then what happened, they would penalize me. Uh, if I would come back, I wouldn't be in the team. But at the end of the day, they couldn't leave a good player out. Because when they go and win tough, they needed Darren Buckley to play. Yeah, so I would miss about two, three games. And then all of a sudden, I'm back in the starting 11, playing again, scoring. And it'll be like this all the time, all the years, going back and back and forth. But for me, it was more important, you know, to be part of the national team. Yeah, because it was it was my dream since I was a kid. Yeah. So, so you're coming back and forth, um, playing in Germany, obviously being paid. Was Bafana paying well at that time to play for them? Or were they paying? <laughs> You want to know the truth? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll tell you. This is in my autobiography. You know, it was so funny because you were so, you know, you were so eager to play for the national team. And how it worked is that the manager of the national team would call you and tell you, well, first they will send an email to your club that you need to report to this date in Johannesburg for this game, all right, or one week before. And the club will tell you. And then they will phone you and they will phone me and tell me my reference number for my flight, my tickets, which airline you got to go to the airport, pick up your ticket and so on and so on. So the first, well, okay, the first time everything happened, well, the first time when I flew from Germany to South Africa, everything was working all right, no problem. Then it got to such a stage where you come to the airport, you go to Lufthansa or South African, South African Airways are there. You ask, give them the reference number, ticket, there's no ticket. Then I would call the manager. Hey, what's happening? I'm here at the airport. They're saying there's no ticket for me. I gave them the reference number. No, it's there. Tell them. Da, 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 da. So I give them, I call him back. There's nothing. I'm saying right here. There's no ticket. That, or a ticket's not even paid for. Then they would say, okay, you pay for the ticket. We'll reimburse you when you come to South Africa. So I did it three times, Courtney. Three times I paid for tickets. Flew to South Africa and I went re reimbursed for my tickets. And that's when I said, after the three times, I didn't see not one cent. After the three times, I made sure before I even go to the airport, I would call the airport and ask them if, if there's a ticket. There's no ticket, I don't go. Finishing. I'll tell them. Yeah. I would phone them and say, sorry, there's no ticket, I'm not coming. Buy a ticket and you'll see me in South Africa. That is embarrassing from an no, organization. Yeah. That wants to be a world power in Africa in terms of football. That is embarrassing. That the player gets treated that way. I, I, I can only apologize from the, the our fellow South Africans for the efforts. I can't believe any organization can do that to their staff. That's unbelievable. It is very unbelievable. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Even too, we know normally when you come and play for the national team, you get paid on according if you win, draw, and so on. And I'll tell you, back in the days, it was, uh, I think the first, after the, after the World Cup, nine, 98, or 98, eh, in France, 
Yeah, after World Cup 19 France, the players were getting good money. You get paid 50,000 rand to come whether you win or lose. Mm. After a few years, they started getting clever. They said no, because what happened was they were getting PSL players to come into the team. So the chip and chaining, the, the team was getting changed like, like our underwear every single day. Yeah. So what happened, they came to, to such uh, a decision where, where the national team would play. All right. If you win, you get 40,000 Rand. If you draw, you get 20,000 Rand. If you lose, you get nothing. Yeah. And that's how it was. So, if it's, but, but I'll tell you, despite of us winning, all right. So, if you come down for seven games a year, maybe you win three games, all right. So, that's 60,000 Rand. That's 60,000. You don't get it. You don't get it like now. You'll wait two years. They'll come up with excuses and excuses and excuses and you'll wait and wait and wait. That's why the majority of the players that were playing overseas didn't want to come back and play for, for Bafana because of all these problems that were going on. Because they wouldn't pay us, uh, you had to buy your own ticket. There was always problems. So the minute you jump onto a plane come to play for Bafana, you're really coming with problems. I expect a player to, to focus and concentrate on coming to play for his national team to produce in his country and make his country proud where you have your federation, you know, really giving you problems in your head. Diagon, this is mind-blowing. <laughs> you must remember, every young South African kid that is involved in football has the drive to one day play for Bafana. But listen to the story. Yeah. Know, this yeah. is unbelievable. Now, you've got senior players in the team. You've got guys that are playing in Europe, yourself, Benny, Quinton, Maybe Mark Fish coming to the end of his year. Lucas Radebe, who's a, a giant at Leeds, were they not able to 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 force change in this Jurassic type of mindset? You know, Courtney. Every time when it came to to a game, right, the only players that would always stick up for the whole team because we will come forward and say, "No, this is nonsense." You know, you can't do this. You can't. You can't. Um, uh, the money we're earning is not good and so on, was always Benny, Dalron, um, Sean, uh, Quinton, um, Andre Aronsa. Uh, these kind of players would always stand up against Safa and say, no, it doesn't work like this. And I'll, and I'll give you a situation. At the 2004 World Cup in, in Japan and Korea, all right, before we even flew there, they told us exactly how much money we're going to earn. All right. So if you if for every game you play, you're gonna get so much. If you qualify for the first round, go to the next round, you'll get so much. Okay, which was a lot, you know. So what happened? We had the opportunity to qualify against Spain the night before the game. Spent the last game in our group. At eleven o'clock, these guys from Safa call us into a conference room to come speak to us about money. At eleven o'clock in the night. We're playing the next day at five o'clock against Spain. So we're sitting in this conference room. They decide now nah, uh, we can't we, we can't afford we can't give you. Uh, uh, I'll tell you. Well, I think it was one hundred fifty thousand. If we one hundred fifty thousand rand, if we qualify to go to the next round, now we can't we can't pay you this. We can't. Da, 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 da. So what happened? Me, Benny, all of us. We stood up. We said, "Now this is bullshit. You guys promised us before we even came to the World Cup." that we're going to get this amount. Now you're coming and chipping and changing. Huh? 
Then what happened in this meeting now, okay, we'll pay you guys this, and then the PSL players will only get half. So then we said, hell no. We one team there. We not we don't divide everyone. We one team. Everyone's playing for the national team, regardless if you if you're playing for PSL or you're playing in Germany or in Italy. Huh? Everyone must get the same. If we qualify and go to next round, everyone must get that 150,000. So they refused. They refused. They didn't want. They didn't want. Um, didn't want to pay this money to the players. So now, can you imagine? Now all of us went to bed with this problem written in our heads for the game the next day. Yeah. And now you have the chance to to qualify for the next round against Spain, where you have in the back of your head that South is not going to pay this money. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, that is just <laughs> a real <laughs> mind. Huh? That's a spaghetti ball. That's all I'm saying. Of course. Because of course. You, you have this huge occasion. You have professional athletes that you call to a meeting at 11 o'clock in the evening. Yeah. You, you just can't move forward. You cannot move you forward. No. no. And, and you want people to perform at the highest level here. Um, no wonder we ended up losing the game the next day. <laughs> we had a good team. And I'm telling you, I'll be honest with you, Cody, you know, it was the chance of history that South Africa could qualify for the next round. Because we, we would have beat Spain, I'm telling you. But then you had players playing. You could even hear the atmosphere as we went to the bus. Players didn't want to even play. Because they knew, look, you know, these guys promised us this. Before we even jumped onto a plane to come to to Japan and Korea, and then one that well a few hours before the game against Spain, they're telling us they're not going to give us this money. Yeah. <laughs> now, as you as you know, Dalron, time catches up with all of us. Uh, we we are uh, in an era where we are now able to manage, make change. You know, you look at people like Lucas. You look at people like Benny. Do you think that? they should be plowing their trade in the national team more so that they so these type of incidents which i hope are still not happening shouldn't come nowhere near happening again so that players who come to the national team thrive well this is a song we've been singing for how many years now even matthew Wood has put i think an organization together that ex-professional players should have the ability to take part in SAFA. But I tell you, it doesn't matter who you bring in there. All right. If you want African football to excel and to change, you need to get rid of everyone that works for SAFA. Everyone. They must go. Yeah. Whether it's from manager to CEO, you name, they must all go. And then you bring in all these ex football players that have the knowledge of played overseas. Only then you will have a good but find a team that will probably win something in future preferences. In the future, I mean. Yeah. Well, that, that, that type of change, you know, is, is, will be difficult because people are holding on to jobs. Yeah, people are getting jobs offered <laughs> to them without even being applied for. Um, so, yeah, that, that is just an unbelievable story you've just and mentioned. I can tell you, it'll, ne it'll never happen. It'll never happen. long as these guys are sitting there, they will never, ever let any footballers come in because they know all the corruption they're doing at SAFA and what's happening. Yeah, one hand washes the other hand in the but, back pocket. But, Dalton, we, we've got 
high profile players now yourself lucas benny who, who is possibly one of the the only guys i know who has his uefa badges and correct me if i'm wrong who's currently yeah. in south africa there's a guy that could who they should and this is the problem where i think football needs to learn from rugby they, they should be asking him to be the exactly. manager and then he should be putting together a backroom staff of ex professionals like yourself that will fertilize the national team i agree with you totally honestly and uh, you know benny has proved it you know benny has a UA, he has a pro license so he has two licenses more than i have i have a way for b license and he proved it in south africa when he came to coach uh, cape town city in two years i think he won two trophies so it shows the quality of his intelligence of being a coach where you have other coaches in this PSL they've been here for years but even they even have they haven't even won a glass of water yeah but they're still coaching and then when you ask them for their coaching badges they probably have a CAF C CAF uh, D license which with such a license you'll never ever be able to coach at third division in Germany yeah, but this is the way the cookie crumbles in South Africa. But or 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 the un the the age old story. I've got experience. I got experience exactly, and I and I've seen it. I've seen it one and a half years when I when, when I was at Amazulu. You would swear these guys invented the game. Honestly, you just sit there and you laugh. Yeah. So 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 let's come back to Dialron. You let's come back to your career now. You you come back to South Africa. Yeah. What is your intention? You are carrying a a bag suitcase of knowledge, basically. Okay. <laughs> well, you back into yeah. South Africa. Uh, what were you looking to do towards the tail end of your career? Twenty sixteen, I got a job at Amazulu. Yeah, as the the head coach for the second team, and then I was there for six months. And in that period of six months. I pushed up at least six to seven young, talented players into the first team, which these players have professional contracts at the moment playing for Amazulu. But it maybe one or two have probably left Amazulu. And in the six months when I was the Lunga, the CEO, you saw the quality that I have, that I have an eye for players. So what he did, he wanted me to be the bridge in between the first team and uh, well, the, the development for me to push players through. And you know, Courtney, the thing is that it was very hard because I had, I, I, was, work, I, I was working with people that were backstabbing me 24 seven. People going to the CEO and telling the CEO that I'm racist. Can you believe it? Anyway, it got to such a situation where um, Lunga, well, the CEO Lunga decided to make me the second, the, the second head uh, assistant coach for the first team. But that, with me, were you with a UEFA B license, and the head coach had a CAF A license, so I was more qualified than him. And believe it or not, every morning I was giving him training sessions for him to train the team. Every single morning, because he couldn't train the team. He knew nothing. Yeah. So I would come, right, give him a training session, explain to him how you're going to do it, and then he would take it and use it. Yeah. And it, <laughs> that's how it was. And all of us, and okay, and then I was there for, a few, well, actually a few months. 
And then what happened was, is, um, sorry, Dalron, who is this coach? Please tell me. <laughs> I, I don't who Basically, the passenger was driving the car. The passenger driving the car. I don't want to mention any names, seriously, because he was a nice, he was a nice guy, honestly. He was a really down-to-earth, nice coach. But you know, I have to be honest, he was clueless about football. And Amazulu gave him the job. He was the head coach. Yeah. And anyway, yeah. And then so on. What happened was. Um, what happened was is that they could see that my knowledge was too much for them and they were scared I was, I was going to take their job. So again, it was this back and forth thing called you cannot believe. So then Lunga, the CEO, calls me and tells me, you need to go back to the second team because they need you there yeah, as the head coach. So I said, fine, not a problem. Huh? You're the boss. So I went back to the second team. To play in the Vodacom, well, it was called the, I think it's the Vodacom League or the, the Vodacom League, yes. Vodacom, yeah. And then I was forced, I was forced to use coaches, assistant coaches, which I didn't want. Yeah, because I said to him on one condition, if you make me the head coach, I want my own assistant coach, my own fitness coach to come in. Yeah, which he agreed. But when I became the head coach, he brought in someone else. Yeah, but I didn't complain because I can work at it with anyone. But these guys behind my back, Courtney, you cannot believe. Because what happened, I had a good mixture of team. I had colored boys. I had Indian boys. I had all black boys. I had white boys. It was a good mixture of a team. It was just my technical team that were putting shit into these players' heads, fighting against each other because of color. And it got to such a terrible, terrible argument where I had more meetings with the CEO in his office than me being on a pitch and training the team. Because these guys go behind my back and tell the CEO, yeah, he's, uh, he's not playing this player. He's not playing that player. And these players are not playing or the, or what so-called black players. And when, when they would call me into the office, he would ask me why these players are not playing. So I would tell him they're not doing the business. Because these other two guys are doing the business. And when I'm playing, you know, the, um, what I do is that I analyze my opposition team on how they play. So I need the perfect players for this system I'm going to play to beat this team that I've analyzed. You know, it'll be totally different. You can't, you can't have two playmakers in the midfield if you're playing against a team that, that counterattacks one way. So I had to change it. But these guys came, of course, they pull out the racist card. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I got an email to say, uh, please don't come back to work. We're putting you on a holiday leave. You've been accused for being racist to players and employees. Yeah. So then. <laughs> go ahead. Please go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, listen to this. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked to read this email. Yeah. I mean, in, in I'm, I'm, a, I'm mixed. I have everything. I have black. I have Indian. I have colored. I have white. You name it. I have everything inside. I have Italian. I have British. I have every single thing. And I'm sitting, I'm reading this email. I couldn't believe it. But I 
calmed down. Then it, I didn't do anything. I left them because that same day they were, uh, Amazulu was playing. So two days later, I gave that to my to my lawyer, and then my lawyer sent uh, Amazulu email for for footage on where I was racist and so on and so on. Believe it or not, Courtney, these guys did not reply for three months. My lawyer was sending emails almost every single day. We need footage, please. Huh? Because I still had a two-year contract. Yeah. And then what happened after three months, I knew how this whole system works. And then they know exactly how it works. All right. So I, so I went to my lawyer and I said, you know what? Do this. Write them an email and tell them I'm prepared to cancel my contract, but they must give me three months of my, of my salary. And I said to them, I guarantee you, they'll reply to you and say yes. Yeah. And that's what he did. Send them an email, same day. They replied, yeah, we cancel it. Cancel and we, we give him three months of his salary. Where I had two years on my contract. And they accused me of something which they couldn't prove. Very hard sore for up, as you say, upcoming young coaches, uh, and it's you know it's it's and I'll be I'll, I'll be direct with you, Cody. It's it's very hard here. Yeah. I'm actually thinking of going back to Germany, because through my qualification, I can't get no job here. Yeah, yeah on you know, this this is the thing that baffles me, and and you you touched on this a bit earlier about people being in jobs unqualified people being in jobs with just experience and, and, and not having the wealth of knowledge you have. Um, are you looking at jobs in the PSL, below the PSL? How, how far are you spreading your net? Because if you, with your qualification, you, you not just have the experience of Europe, you have the qualifications of Europe as well. You cannot be lost to our grassroots level. You know, I spread my wings so far that I actually, actually, just for me, just to, to, to keep my practice going of coaching, that I coached a team called Cavaliers. I went to a team, uh, coached a team called Cavaliers, and they played in the Motepe League, third division, third division league, just for me to keep my practice. Yeah, I sent my CV all over. Uh, uh, Mike McCobb was my agent. He contacts Supersport. He contacts uh, Chipper United. He contacts all the clubs, but no one was interested. Yeah. And my feeling is that I think that us players that have made overseas and won trophies and have a big name are probably threats to, to these clubs. That's why they don't want to sign us on this club. Well, actually, at these clubs. They, they think we are a threat, but we're not. We know threat to no club. We want to help the club ha have success. I don't have someone that's highly qualified that can build a house for me, which is going to stand. Then someone that's not qualified and will build a house for you and will fall in two days' time on your head. Yeah. So you've touched, that's so true. I agree with you 100%. That's so true. You've touched on what you're currently thinking about moving back to Germany. Is that something definite or are you in a transitional period? What do you think you want your next move to be? Well, you know, at the time now in South Africa, it's, it's very bad. I tell you, you know, I don't know if you, if you know, we have three, three million unemployed people that happened over the past three months. 
3 million people that have become unemployed. Restaurants are closing down. Uh, uh, Amazulu, well, uh, uh, why I'm saying Amazulu? Because it's the team from KZN. Amazulu are actually cutting place wages because they can't afford to pay the place anymore. Uh, it's getting very, very extreme. And well, I would say scary here in South Africa. And for me, I can tell you, I'm, I can't leave now. I can't jump onto a plane and leave because I have my house, I have my furniture, my kids are still going to school. It's, it's going to have to be a planned situation over probably a year or so for me to move back, which I definitely want to move back because I can tell you, I'm not, well, actually, coaching wise, I'm not surviving here. Yeah. Even, I tried even commentating on TV. I even offered them to try me out for several times and maybe one or two times we commentate and then see what happens from there. From that two times became, I think, 15 times I commentated and not one cent was paid to me. Yeah. On super sports. They would call me up, go to this game, go to that game. I'll go. Yeah. But did they give me a contract after the 15, 15 time I commentated on TV? No, they didn't. And every time when I ask what's happening, do you guys want me on board? Don't you want me? Yeah, it's always like a roller coaster back and forth. Yeah, nothing concrete. I can't believe someone of your value is being, and I, I almost think it's going to happen that you're going to be lost to our grassroots football and it shouldn't happen. Yeah, but we 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 hope wherever you eventually put your managerial hat down, you you, you are success. I can only believe you will be. I can no, no, Kony, I, I, you know I am success because I do everything myself now. I have my own soccer school. I had to open a soccer school because I I saw the difference between development and uh, being professional. In between, there's still players that had to be learned how to kick a ball when they come to to a professional team. And now I have I have a connection. I'm working with the class of '92 Manchester United, which are supposed to take up 22 kids down in April. And now they're setting September, but I, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think parents want their kids to fly in a plane to the UK to get that that one uh, one week experience of being trained by Ryan Giggs, Phil Neville, Nicky Butt, and so on. Yeah. So that's that's all these connections that I've that I've been doing myself with 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 no help. You know, trying to give kids, yeah, scope, because the kids are not, are not getting scoped here in South Africa. Well, you got to unearth the next Dalron Buckley. I have to. <laughs> but I have you to. Know what? As, as we draw a close our interview, mate, I, I, I just, I want to bring it back to our personal relationship. And I remember when you guys used to travel from Marisburg, I mean, from Durban to Marisburg uh, as as Ramblers to play us. I was playing for Shamrocks yeah, yeah. at the time. Shamrocks, hey, you guys were good. I remember Shamrocks. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 honestly, Dalron, the night before I knew we were playing you, I was in bed seven o'clock. <laughs> I was in bed seven o'clock. Yeah, getting your fitness. Getting my, honestly, mentally right. <laughs> I've got a big game coming up tomorrow. We would lose comfortably. But, you know, the preparation of who we were playing, because he was such a name. I'm not even lying to you. And and, yeah. and it's and like I'm saying, I'm gonna tell you something. The guy took me aside, <laughs> the manager <laughs> of our NFL team, and said, Stop giving him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I said, that's not the thing you should be telling me. So get it to you. Buckley, you've been excellent to speak to today, my friend. I, I'm, I'm, my pleasure. I, besides knowing you as a professional guy, I just, I, I'm so happy that I met you. You know, there's such a rivalry between Devon and Marisburg, but you want yeah. to this guy. But always good friends when it comes to party. There you go. There you go. So, uh, just thank you so much for the interview. You've been a fantastic, fantastic interview. Thank you, man. Uh, okay. Anytime. Take it easy. Courtney certainly enjoyed kicking back with Delron. I hope you did too. But as we end the interview, it's also important that you hear from both Amazulu and Supersport to give their side of the story. I'll start with Amazulu, who said that Buckley was not fired because of any racist allegations. The club spokesperson, Brilliant Makatini, said, Dalron didn't leave because of anything reported about or alleged to have been leaning towards racism. There was a breakdown in the relationship with him and then members of the technical team. His departure was more as a result of a breakdown of working relationships with colleagues he was assigned with and that had somehow also unfortunately spiralled down to even the players. And in response to his unpaid commentary work, Supersport spokesperson Clinton van der Berg said, Dalron was brought on board to try out at Supersport. At no point was there any agreement of a contract. Supersport pays people who work for the company. Please establish if Dalron in fact invoiced the business with the required supporting documents for work carried out. No one at Supersport can recall seeing such. Now we did ask Dalron about this and he said he had an email correspondence between himself and Supersport that proved he was owed money. To both Amazulu and Supersport, we thank you for your responses as it's important that you have the right of reply on our show. Well, it's come to that time for us to say goodbye. I wish you all the best and as always, please leave a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Ciao for now. Goodbye.